right, well, you want to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And I want to show you a little intro video to... Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 4, and we've been looking at... There's 12, 12 names there total, and we kind of skimped on, on Barnabas because we kind of folded him into John Mark. But we're now to the final name, and the final name is none other than the writer of the letter and Paul. Now, Paul's like my hero, my favorite uh, uh, Bible guy, along with Timothy, that whole story of Paul and Timothy. So I had to really uh, restrain myself because we could just study Paul's life, I think, for a couple years and not even begin to tap into all the things to learn from this guy. But I, we're going to look at his last words. And so I, I, I found this for you, and I think you'll enjoy it. I'll never know the time or place My life will quickly cease And so I've stopped to wonder What my final words will be I wonder what does this red button do you're sure this suit is fireproof Pull the pin and count to what? Which wire was I supposed to cut? Let me hold that while you light the fuse I promise these are the good kind of mushrooms I wonder where the mother bear is I'll get a world record for this Famous last words So I wonder what I'll say Will it be the pun of a morbid joke Or a quote well worth a historical note Famous last words Do I even really care? A good life lived will be bettered Famous last words Oh yes, I wonder what would happen if I jumped up and down on this It's a long way down, but I bet it's soft Are you sure you turned the power off? I've watched them do this on TV Down, 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 nice doggy Watch me do this while I close my eyes This chicken doesn't taste quite right Famous last words So I wonder what I'll say Will they be the pun of a morbid joke Or a quote well worth a historical note Famous last words Do I even really care? Cause a good life lived will be bettered Famous last words And famous last words And famous last words I just thought that was funny. Did you enjoy that? Okay, what are you going to be your, your, your last 
last words, famous last words. The chorus of that song was, A good life lived will be better heard than famous last words. Well, let me just uh, add to that, uh, to that chorus, these words. A good life lived will make our last words more influential. What, make last, what makes last words uh, that you want to hear them is because of the life that was lived preceded them. All right? And that's why it's interesting. Oh, someone that great. What would they say at the very end? Well, for today's lesson here, as we look at the life of Paul, here's what I would like to say. Finishing strong by fulfilling our ministries will make our last words full of influence. Finishing strong in our lives, in your life, by fulfilling your ministry is going to make your last words full of influence for those you love and who love you. That's what we're going to learn today as we come to this last name mentioned in Colossians 4. So as we do this, let's look at it one more time. And uh, let's look at verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Let's just read through this and be reminded here a little bit of where we've come in this series. Series. He starts in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. And here's our verse for today. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, we've learned a lot in this series about how to fulfill our ministry. And now it comes down to learning from the individual who mentored and actually led to Christ nearly every name that we just read. I mean, you talk about learning from the master. We're going to learn from the guy who either led to Christ all these individuals that we've been studying and if he didn't lead them to Christ, then he led to Christ the individual that led them to Christ. Here's a man who has been fruitful. He's been faithful. And what an amazing ministry he has had. And so we're going to look at him. He helped these individuals to know Christ. He helped them to grow in Christ. He helped them to show Christ by fulfilling their ministries. And he told them how to... Do what we've been talking about a little bit this morning. Go with Christ, taking Christ to other individuals. 
I don't know about you, but this is the kind of guy I want to follow in his footsteps. So let's again look at the man, and then we're going to look at how he made his mark. Now, here's where I just I, I just got to shortchange you and just give you the little bit of who this guy is. And it just I, I just I, it's like I have to ask his forgiveness to just not be able to really explore who this individual is. You ought to study the life and ministry of Paul. But here's just a little bit to know. Why should you study him? Why is he worthy of your time and effort? Because Paul is second only to Jesus. He is second only in Jesus to Jesus as being the major human figure in the New Testament. I mean, this guy is all over the New Testament. When you think about it, in the book of Acts, once you get to Acts chapter 9, the whole rest of the book is basically tracing the history, the life, the ministry, the influence, the mission of the Apostle Paul. When you think in terms of the New Testament, he wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Thirteen of the 27 books have been written by Paul. In fact, if you would remove the writings of Paul from the Bible, we wouldn't have a clue to know how to do church. We just wouldn't know how to do church. God used this individual in a massive way in ministry. Now, what's interesting, we don't know a lot outside of the Bible about Paul, but there is one historical reference, and I think I have it there for you. And the earliest description of Paul's appearance appears in a book from the New Testament Apocrypha, which says that Paul was this, a man of small stature. In fact, his Hebrew name is Saul, which means asked for. He was named, He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and the most famous person in the tribe of Benjamin was the first king of Israel by the same name, Saul. And Saul was the king that Israel asked for. Saul means asked for. But his Roman name, as we've seen in this study, they often the Jews often had a Hebrew name and a Roman name. His Roman name is Paul or Paulus, and Paul means little. And more than likely, he got this name or took this second name due to the fact that he was short. He was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs, bowed legs, in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a unibrow. Who would have known? Eyebrows meeting, a nose somewhat hooked, which we may not think is very attractive, but to Romans it was a tremendous uh, physical feature. Full of friendliness. For now he peer, appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel. In other words, it's not so much what your physical appearance is. The countenance of your fa- face reflects the character of your heart. And when you looked at the Apostle Paul, you saw a man who knew Christ, and who walked with God. Uh, The writer attributes this description of Paul to Titus, uh, someone that we do know from the Bible. Uh, This guy had a radical conversion that we'll look at here in a moment. He went from being a murderer of Christians to being a martyr for Christ. That's no small change in your life. And as I already said, he wrote much of the New Testament. There's a couple other notes there. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles who was born out of due time. Uh, You know, there was 12 chosen apostles, but Christ, after his resurrection, on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord specifically chose Paul to be the 13th apostle and the apostle who would be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's the apostle to us. 
And that's why we should be so grateful for him. He had the privilege of revealing the mystery of the church age and the now not yet aspect of God's kingdom. Uh, that's theological stuff. That, that's just background. That's, that's important stuff. And if you read the book of Colossians, you'll understand how big the mystery of Christ in you, the mystery of one body, the church, Jew and Gentile, how big all that is to who we are as Christians in this church age. But I want you to look at that next point, and it's this. The biggest is I thought, how could I summarize real simply for you the life of Paul? And I think this is the simplest way to do it. Paul followed. He followed a simple process for becoming a fully devoted Christ follower who finished strong by fulfilling his ministry. You see, it's, it's real easy, or at least it is for me and maybe for you, to look at the Apostle Paul and think he kind of just dropped out of heaven. To look at the Apostle Paul and say, yeah, that's great. I'd love to be like him, but I could never be like him. And think that because he encountered Christ, the risen Christ personally, because he was the 13th Apostle, because he was in, uh, used of God to write so much of Scripture that I really can't relate to him. But I hope to show you very quickly in this, this four-point outline of his life that Paul became the man that he was through a simple process. It's the same process that we're committed to here at our church. It's the same process that many of you have gone through. Some of you are at the beginning stages of it. And it's a really very simple process. And it will get you where God wants you to be. And it will get you to that place that you've always wanted to be. Now, if you stop in this process you're going to miss out on God's best. If you stop in this process, you will not fulfill your ministry from the Lord. If you stop in this process, you will not finish strong, and your last words will be ones of regret. But if you'll follow this simple process like Paul did, if you'll stick with it and apply what you've learned in this series, then you will finish strong, You'll fulfill your ministry, and your last words will be significant and influential. So let's look at it. First of all, Paul began by knowing Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, Acts 7, 8, and 9 show this process of Paul coming to know Christ. And in Acts chapter 9, we get the real story, verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 9 Verses 1 through 9 is the story of Paul coming to Christ. Coming to Christ. He encounters Christ on the Damascus Road. Let's look at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. See, he's a murderer of Christians. He's persecuting Christians in his unbelief. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, and here it is, who are you, Lord? That's how it all starts. You've got to know who Christ is. Who are you, Lord? And we don't tell him who he is, we ask him to reveal that to us. And he has in the Bible. And so the first part of becoming a devoted Christ follower is simply to ask the question, who are you, Lord? And then listen to what he says in his word, believe it, 
and live by it. And here he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now, there you go. At the beginning of this series, we studied Archippus and we said everybody is saved to serve, right? And notice what he says. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, this is who I am. And I'm about to tell you what you are to do for the rest of your life. We're saved to serve. And Paul never stopped wanting to know Christ. In fact, in Philippians 3, 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In Philippians 3, he goes on and he says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Listen, knowing Christ is not something you just do at the beginning of your life, of your Christian life. It's something you go on doing. You live to know Christ, and that's what Paul did, and it started in Acts chapter 9. But it didn't stop there. Number two, Paul received help in growing in Christ. He received help in growing in Christ. Now, you would think a guy who encounters the risen Lord wouldn't need someone else to disciple him. Wouldn't you? But that's exactly what Christ did. Christ said, look, I could just reveal all this to you, but I don't work that way. I work through fallen, weak individuals like you and I. And so I revealed myself to you to save you, but I want to use a certain disciple by the name of Ananias, and I want to use him to disciple you. And so you look. And you see that in verse 10, we're introduced to this process of Paul beginning to grow. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. A certain disciple, someone just like you and me. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And that's what disciples do. They say, Lord, what do you want? I'm ready to do it. And he said, and the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And of course, Ananias, just like we do, hey, I'll do anything, Lord, as long as it's not dangerous, as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's easy. And and he says, oh, you want me to go and hang out with the number one killer of Christians? And he said, yeah, I do, because I've changed him. He knows me now, and he needs your help to grow in Christ. And and so you go with the rest of the story. He he enters this home. We talked about hospitality and, and in a very similar way to maybe you have been discipled. He was discipled to grow, and Paul never stopped growing in Christ. In fact, he dedicated his entire life and ministry to helping others grow. In Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29 of this letter we've been studying, here's what he said. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And then in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he kind of summed up his whole ministry. And this is how Paul lived his life. Follow me as I follow Christ. It all started back there in Acts chapter 9. But he didn't stop there, because if you're growing in Christ, what's going to happen? You're going to begin to show Christ by being involved in ministry. So look at 
Number three, Paul followed others in showing Christ in ministry. And we're still in Acts chapter 9. See, we're not looking at, we're not looking at these broad, massive things. This is just what the normal, simple process is. So we're in Acts chapter 9. I want you to look at verse 19. Look at verse, verse 19. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. This is Paul. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. There's all the work of knowing and growing in Christ. But notice, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, helping, they're helping him grow. But notice verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength. How did he grow? Because he got involved in ministry. Have you stagnated because you never have gotten involved in ministry in our church? Have you stagnated because you got in ministry and now you've left ministry and you took a break? that has now become your lifestyle. You're never going to grow. You're never going to keep on increasing in Christ unless you get involved in ministry and then determine, I'm going to fulfill that ministry till the day I die. Oh, the ministry may change. I may move and go to another church. That's not the point. Wherever I am, I'm going to be involved in a God-glorifying, Bible-teaching, Christ-exalting local church, and I'm going to bring my gifts to the table. When you see Paul, that he goes immediately into the synagogues and teaches, you're like, whoa, does that mean as soon as I get saved, I've got to go and start teaching at the seminary, the Bible college? No, you got to understand, he got saved. He was a rabbi. That's what he did before he was saved. He taught. So what's the most natural thing for him to do? Now that I'm saved, I'm going to go right back where I normally work, where I normally live, to my normal network of friends, and I'm going to proclaim Christ. For you and I, that's going to be different. Wherever you are when you're saved, wherever you work right now, that's where you're to proclaim Christ. So don't be Paul, be you. Don't be me, be you. But the point is this. Show Christ by proclaiming Him and serving with Him. Amazing stuff. He never stopped doing this. We'll see that. Number four, he persevered in going with Christ. Uh, as you go to Acts 11, Acts 11 is where Paul continues to be mentored in ministry by the guy that we've mentioned before in the series, Barnabas. And so he's showing Christ. He's learning to follow others in ministry. But when you get to Acts chapter 13, now Paul has matured. He's persevered. And now he becomes the leader. And he sets off and he finds his calling. He finds his mission and being a missionary, and he goes around the world, and the rest of Acts and the rest of his life was spent in sharing Christ. So that's kind of the life of Paul. If you'll read through those chapters, if you'll follow that outline, you got a great framework. He began by knowing Christ. He had help in growing in Christ. He worked with others in ministry to show Christ. And then he dedicated his life to going with Christ as God led him, just as God will lead us. But look at the second point. Paul 
did not only follow this process, Paul persevered in it. He persevered in this simple process in spite of personal disappointment, physical pain, intense persecution, satanic opposition, and loneliness, and every other excuse you and I come up with for for getting out of ministry. You see, you, you might say, well, that was easy for Paul to do, but you don't know what I have to face with. You don't know what I have to deal with. And you know, you're right. I don't know what you have to deal with, but I know what I have to deal with. And what you and I both have to deal with is very similar. We have loved ones that are suffering. We have loved ones that, that, that die. We have illnesses that we are diagnosed with. We have relation. We, we, we just have all these things. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11. Paul went through this process. He persevered. And here's what he says. He says, I have been in far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Five times he was whipped within an inch of his life with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's just taking a stick and, and, and just beating it. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, which in those days were no easy thing. In danger from rivers. He almost drowned numerous times. Danger from robbers. Dangers from my own people, the Jews. Danger from the Gentiles, the very people I was trying to reach. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, which are mostly physical in nature, There's the daily emotional, spiritual, psychological pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I would say that Paul persevered through this process. Can I encourage you? How is Satan trying to stop you? How is he trying to hinder you? What is it that has caused you to pull back? What is it that has caused you to ride the bench in ministry and to think about Paul and to think about this process, think about this series, and get back in the game? Or if you're in the game, stay in it. Well, here's the proof that Paul persevered. Let me give you the proof that he persevered. The proof is his famous last words. Turn to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, are, of all the words that Paul wrote, these are his last ones. And here's how we know he persevered. Because in his last words, he's still doing what he had always done. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and it's in verses 1 through 22. Now, what's interesting about the context of this passage is that Paul is still talking to people about fulfilling their ministry. Let's look at verse 1. Here's his last words to his number one disciple, his son in the faith, young Timothy. Here he says, here's my last words. Verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Whoa! He just sets this context. See, we need to be reminded. Listen, we need to be reminded that ultimately we're going to stand before the judge of the living and the dead. 
And in his kingdom, he rules. And we're going to give an account for our ministry in our lives. So he sets that context. And here's what he says to Timothy. In light of his gifting, in light of his ministry, he says these three simple words. The motto of the seminary that I went to. And they're profound. And they're simple. And we'll talk more about these next week. Preach the word. And then he goes on, he talks about that, but he comes to verse 5. Because he kind of got off track, like all preachers do. And he comes back on track, and he says this in verse 5. As for you, as for you, and he says these five, he says five profound things. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. There's the same words that he said to Archippus. He's just continuing to say them. And they are his last words to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. And then he says, and here's why. Because you're following in my footsteps. And guess what, Timothy? I'm fulfilling my ministry. I'm finishing strong. And I want you to finish strong. Look at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's talking about the final, the big trip, the final ride. He's talking about his death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know what he's saying? I fulfilled my ministry. I'm finishing strong, Timothy, and I want you to do the same. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, finish strong by fulfilling your ministry. So here's the question you have in your notes. How did Paul make his mark as the apostle to the Gentiles? How did he do it? Here's the answer. He persevered by finding strength in the Lord to finish strong for the Lord. He found strength in the Lord to finish strong for the Lord so that he could fulfill his ministry. How are you and I going to make our mark? How are we going to make our mark? We're going to persevere in finding strength in the Lord to finish strong. Now, that brings us to verse 9. And now we're looking at the last, last words. Okay? These are the last, last words of the Apostle Paul. And in these last, last words, in verses 9 through 22, we see seven life lessons, seven lessons that will help you to finish strong, seven lessons that kind of review this whole series. And and we're going to see several of the people that we've already studied. This is a decade or so later. These are years later, and and some are still with him, and, and we're going to see some, they've dropped out. And so... I want to share with you these lessons. I, I uh, uh, saw these in an outline from uh, uh, John Piper, and, and, and I just looked at that, and I'm like, you know what? This is exactly what we've been studying. This is exactly what we've seen in Colossians. This is the final thing to tap off what we've been studying. So some of this is going to be review. And if you've, you've been with us in this series, it's going to be, it's going to be a reminder and if it's not, then go back, listen to the messages, and, 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 and take heed. But these are just great reminders. This, these are, 
In these last few verses, Paul's getting real practical and saying, Timothy, I just gave you this lofty charge to preach the word that's used in ordination services throughout for the last 2,000 years. But now I'm going to get down and just tell you, here's seven practical lessons to keep in mind if you're going to finish strong in ministry. And they're as real for you and I as they are for Timothy. Here's lesson one. Christian ministry is relationally hard. Okay, look at your friend. Look at your friend at your table and say, Christian ministry is relationally hard. Christian ministry is relationally hard. Now, if you haven't figured that out from this series, then you haven't been paying attention. But here's what he says. So look at verses 10 11. Listen, Christian ministry, living for the good of others, serving others in ministry is relationally hard. Paul wants Timothy and for us to see this. Otherwise, why would he give all these examples? And he gives us, there's many more than this, but he gives us at least five illustrations. I have them listed for you. We've studied most of these individuals and most of these situations. The first is Ministry is relationally hard because being betrayed or forsaken is relationally hard. And there's those famous words, verse 10, for for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Now, we studied Demas. I'm not going to reteach that. It's just a reminder. That hurt Paul. And if you're going to get in ministry and invest yourself in ministry, there's going to be people that desert, betray, and disappoint you. Never forget pouring my life in an individual, discipling them for a year. Man, they got saved. They were growing. They were just, just everything was just, just pouring myself weekly, praying, loving, befriending. And then at a year's time, he just walked away, just walked away, not just from the church, but from Christ and, and went and pursued a pleasure in the world that he deemed more important than following Christ. That broke my heart. I grieved for that guy for a year, for a year, I could not think of him without coming to tears. Just because there's <laughs> ministries relationally hard. There's people that are going to walk out on you, and you what you when they do, you have a question: Am I going to ever invest in somebody again? Oh, I may go through the motions, but am I really going to give my heart to someone again? And I did. With other individuals, but I remember when I first met with her, Rick, I'm just telling you, I don't know what you're going to do. You may walk away, you may fail, you may flood. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm giving myself to you because here's what I've learned, that I'm going to trust in the Lord, even though ministry is relationally. So I'm going to be your friend, whether you return that gift back. That's that's. I'm just going to give that to God. I've been there. I know what it is. I'll do it again. Being alone is relationally hard. Look at verses 10 and 11. I mean, these are some of the saddest verses in the Bible. Paul's down in a hole of a prison pit. you got to understand, he's down in a prison pit. He's about to get his head chopped off for Christ. And here is what he says. And, and, and remember, we said, what, there's like a, a, at least 400 names associated with Paul in the New Testament. This guy's got a social network, you know, that would put your Facebook to shame, okay? And here's what he says. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. It's all come down to me and my doctor. That's kind of how life often is. You and your doctor. 
There was once such a team, and now it's just Luke and I. Listen, ministry can be lonely. I remember a young man that I knew said, said this about ministry. Ministry ought to be fun. And I thought, you're a young man. You're a young man that's a godly guy. You're going to do fine. But God's going to teach you that ministry isn't always fun. Ministry is work. It's hard work. It's rewarding. There's a joy, but it's also tremendously lonely. And that's not just for pastors. If you get involved in a ministry team here and you're going to stick with it, there's going to be times where you're going to look around and say, where is everybody? Right? You're just going to be here. When, when Kirk comes down, gets the music, no one's helping him with that. Kirk is doing it. We're, you know, I'm alone. Right? Feels like that sometimes. Number four, being opposed or attacked is relationally hard. Man, the first two are hard, but look at verse 14. Everybody has an Alexander the coppersmith eventually in ministry. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Now, in a moment, we're going to see that Paul has a forgiving attitude towards those who fail him. But there are those who work not just against the man of God, but they're working against the ministry of God in attacking spiritual leaders. And Alexander the coppersmith is one of them. And that's hard. It's relationally hard when the people gossip behind your back, when they have secret meetings to undermine your ministry, when they launch smear campaigns to attack your character, when they listen to lies, when they assume the worst, when they gather against you. That Hey, listen, that's just part of ministry that you've got to persevere through. You've got to persevere through it. And sometimes, sometimes all you can do is say, I'm just going to... I'm not going to quit. I I don't have the energy to do anything positive, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. Number four, being let down relationally is hard. Man, look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. At my first events, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Now, here's this guy with this relational network of whom he's just mentioned some of them. Luke, we don't know. Now, we don't know. Was Luke sick? Was Luke on a trip? I don't know, but even Luke wasn't there. And he's going to send greetings in a moment from, uh, uh, from others in verse, uh, which is it? Verse, uh, verse 21, Eubulus sends greetings to you, Puddins and Linus, I love these names, Claudia, and all the brothers. They all send you greetings. But I was alone. At the, at, the, at the time. Here's, here's what I've learned, and I'm, I'm sure I have more to learn, but here's what I've learned thus far. If you're going to stay in ministry, eventually everyone's going to let you down. Everyone's going to let you down. Nobody's perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone's going to let you down. And that's when most people turn their back on the church and on Christ. But the problem is Christ didn't let you down. God's people let you down. And God's people will always let you down. Because you let God's people down. I let God's people down. None of us are perfect. But some of us are intent on living in a perfect world. And therefore your life is very lonely and you are very bitter. And you fail to look in your own mirror and realize, I'm not perfect, so why am I demanding that of those around me, especially in the church? And then number five, it's relationally hard because of being indifferent seasons is relationally hard 
Look at verses 20 and 21. 20 and 21. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. You know, some days just everything's stacked against you. People are sick. It's winter. It's depressing. It's dark. The days are short. The nights are long. I just want to huddle in my cocoon and not go and serve the Lord. Not go to group. Not go to church. I mean, you know, it's every, here's what the preacher's rainy days on Sunday mornings, every preacher knows. Rainy days on Sunday morning, every preacher knows. There will be a lower attendance. Rain. I might melt. I might melt. Snow. There's snow. There's snow. You know, but Monday, rain or shine. We're like postmen when we go to work on Monday. Nothing keeps us from that. Well, there's just seasons of ministry. And sometimes you just got to persevere through those times. Well, that's lesson one. Ministry is relationally hard. Lesson two is this. Friends in ministry can let you down and never care for you again. And that's the life of Demas. See, some people let you down and they disappear from the church. They disappear from following Christ and you never hear from them again. And when you do, they are farther from God than they ever were when they first helped you. That's the story of Demas. Friends in ministry can let you down and never care for you again. Here's the application on lesson two. You cannot control what others pursue in life, but you can control what you pursue. You see, Demas left to pursue the things of the world. Paul can't control that, but Paul can control what he pursues. And that's what you got to keep in mind. That's what you got to keep in mind. Lesson three, good friends in ministry can let you down and still be good friends later in life. Now, this is the lesson of Luke and Mark, or of Mark and, and, and those who abandoned him. Uh, Look at verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Now, we don't have to review Mark because we we already studied that, but but there's the lesson. If you're going to persevere in ministry, realize that some people are going to let you down and they'll never come back. Others are going to let you down and they will come back. They'll be restored. But you have got to have a forgiving heart to those who fail you. Now, that begins, number one, in your marriage. If you can just get that down in your marriage, you'll stay married. But that's true in ministry. Well, I'm never going to work with him again. I'm never going to work with her again. They let me down. Well, welcome to life. Go talk to them. Go love on them. Go assume the best. Here's what I've learned about people letting me down. Most, if, if, First of all, if I'm, if I'm in one of those seasons where I'm discouraged and having a pity party, then... I, I just assume the worst about everybody around me. Well, they're not here because they're out getting drunk. I mean, you know, I mean, it's insane thing. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not thinking that, but I'm just saying, you know, I just think the most worst thing. They're not here because they're out getting drunk. You know, I mean, I don't think that. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you just think the worst. And what I've learned is to talk to myself, persevere, and just say, well, I'm just going to give that to you, God. And then a couple of weeks later, you find out they had this very legitimate reason. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, man, I was all anxious and upset about that and all worked up about it. And here it was a, a legitimate thing. And, and, and all I did was, was assume the worst, think negative, and get all bent out of shape. And nine times out of ten, it ends up being okay. 
Are you with me? Same thing with your kids. Same thing with your spouse. Same thing here in ministry in the church. Here's what he does. Look at verse 21. Or, um, I'm sorry, verse 16. Look back at verse 16. And here's what he says. He says, At my first events, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But then here's the attitude maker or breaker. May it not be charged against them. He had a forgiving heart. And some of those people he sends greetings from later in these, just two verses down. Some of these people who failed him, forsook him when he needed them most. He's in the hospital and they didn't come to see me. I'm going through this hard time and no one cares. Well, understand this. I learned this going with my mom's 10 months of suffering. It's no one else's mom. It's only my mom. No one's going to care like I do. But you know what I think? I think they all should. How can you be happy when my mom's dying? We all have these feelings. Are you with me? Well, you just got to understand, it's my mom dying, not Kirk. So Kirk can laugh and enjoy life. And I shouldn't take offense to that. I just need to have a forget. Don't hold it to his account that he's not calling me every day and asking about my mom. And I'm just using Kirk because he's man enough to handle. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, Kirk? You know what I'm talking about. Don't hold it against them, Lord. He releases them to Jesus. He says, you know what, Jesus? Maybe there's rebuke in this. Maybe there's a need for conviction, but that's your job. You take care of it. But my attitude is don't judge them for it because I have a forgiving heart. I want to persevere to the end. Number f- lesson four, enjoy the presence of, enjoying the presence of Jesus is not meant to replace enjoying the presence of Christian friends. Here's what he said. Look at verse 16. He says, even though everybody abandoned me in verse 16, look at verse 17, and here's the heart of this passage. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever wondered that maybe the reason you're put in the situation you're put in is so that you can have a greater relationship with God and not depend on others? That's what he's saying. Listen. Enjoying the presence of Jesus, though, is not meant to replace Christian friends. So he says this, and he doesn't say, hey, I've been let down too many times. It's just me and Jesus now. No, he says, come to me before winter, Timothy. And then he says it again. Don't forget, get here as soon as you can. Because as much as I love the Lord, I need some love with skin on it. As much as I love the Lord and he stands by me, I still need you to be around me. That's good stuff. Do your best to come to me. Lesson five. Jesus is the only totally reliable friend and therefore the only satisfying friend who can make all other friendships eternal. In verses 17 and 18, we see where Paul finds his ultimate strength to persevere. Find your strength in the Lord to finish strong for the Lord. That's the message. That's the message. And then look at lesson six. And this is what we're going to look at next week and end the series with. Closeness to God at the end of your life does not remove the need or the desire to be spiritually fed. The last thing he said, he wants to be spiritually fed. Now think about it. This is the Apostle Paul. 
He's about to go meet Jesus. I would say, you know what? Let's just get this over with, and let's just go to be with Jesus. He, he At any moment, he's going to be in the presence of Jesus, and he says, Timothy, bring the Bible, because I'm going to read it right up to the end. Isn't that good stuff? The Apostle Paul still wanted to grow close and be spiritually fed right up to the last moments of his life. We'll talk more about this next week. Here's the last lesson. People who love Christ and live for His coming kingdom don't live for the pleasures and treasures of this world. Now, this has been a common theme. This is what keeps people out of ministry. The pleasures and treasures of this world. Here's what he says. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus with Carpus at Troas. Verse 17. Here's a guy who handled tons of money in his life. Tons of money came through his hands. And it kept going to the kingdom. At the end... He doesn't even have like an extra coat. He just basically got a coat and his Bible at the end. Now, here's the point. Persevere through the financial times, the relational times, the difficult times. If you're going to finish strong, you've got to find your strength in the Lord. And I hope this series has helped you do that. And Apostle, I just find it amazing that the Apostle Paul ends his last words with all these relational dynamics that we have been studying all along in this series. And in them and through them, and yes, sometimes in spite of them, he persevered and finished strong because he found his strength in the Lord. Now, next week, next week, we're going to find the secret to that. This week, I'd take these seven lessons and I'd I'd tack them in your Bible. I'd pray over those lessons, and I'd remind myself of those lessons. Heading into 2013, I'm going to get in ministry, and I'm not going to let anything stop me or hinder me. I'm going to put these principles into practice. Let's pray. Father, we come, and we know ministry is hard, and it's relationally hard. And some of us still, we have the scars to show it, and some of us still have fresh wounds that prove that principle. But Lord, may we find our strength And you, may we go back over this series. May we listen to it again. May we relearn the lessons. And we can find our strength in you to finish strong and fulfill our ministry. And those that need to get in ministry, find strength to get in it. Those that are in it, find strength to stay in it. And Lord, may we all find your strength to be fruitful in it for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.